morning. Welcome to all those in the sanctuary and joining us online today. In a moment, our ushers are going to bring Bibles up and down the aisles. If you'd like to use a Bible during the service today, we invite you to just let them know and you can use one if you don't have your own with you today. Today, we're going to be learning all about Palm Sunday and what it teaches us about what kind of king we have in Jesus. And I have to say, I loved Palm Sunday when I was a kid because I got to wave palm branches and I got to yell in church, Hosanna to the son of David, run around. It was so exciting. I didn't know what that meant, of course, but it was fun. I got swept up in it, probably a lot like the kids at that first Palm Sunday in Jerusalem. But as fun as Palm Sunday was as a kid, That was not my most memorable Palm Sunday. None of those were my most memorable. The most memorable Palm Sunday I ever experienced was on Sunday, April 16th in the year 2000 in Ngandere, Cameroon, West Africa. I was on a musical ministry team that year, and we were being hosted by several different Lutheran churches in Ngandere for Holy Week. And I had been worshiping that morning at an English-speaking Lutheran church called Cross and Crown. It was a wonderful Palm Sunday worship service. And when worship was over, the pastor said, we're not done yet, follow me. And he walked out the door. We followed him outside and waving our palm branches in the street, we started to walk, singing Hosanna songs in English and French and in different tribal languages. And thankfully, the word Hosanna is the same in all of those. So I didn't know where we were going, but it was about Jesus, so I was in. And we were waving our palm branches and singing. And the amazing thing was, as we walked, as we passed by other Christian churches in Ngandare, the doors would swing open and the churches would pour out and join us in this procession of praise. We'd go past side streets and we'd encounter whole groups, a mass of people from different churches coming down the streets to join us in this procession of praise, going Where? I had no idea. But singing. And in this whole line, if you've ever been in a line of people singing, you know the people in the front are singing something different than the people in the back. It was just this cacophony of sound and and praise. And Ngandere was a town that was evenly split between Muslims and Christian neighbors. So as we marched, the streets were lined with the Muslim neighbors watching this lively, joyful parade singing, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And there were bright colors and people of all ages and kids running around and elders walking with canes, palm branches waving. And then something changed. I could see there was something happening ahead of us. The procession line was actually going somewhere. It was going to the soccer stadium, which was the largest gathering place in town. And we were headed toward the middle of the field where there stood a 40-foot cross. And this is what I noticed was happening. Everyone was singing and praising and waving their palm branches until they reached the cross. The moment each person reached the cross, they went from singing to silent. They stopped. They dropped their palm branch at the foot of the cross. Then they turned their back to the cross and they walked away empty-handed and silent. And just seeing it, my heart started to thud. The closer I got, the more I witnessed that happening over and over, people dropping their palm branches and turning away silent, the more painful it got. And I understood what this was for. It was meant to remind us that those praises of Palm Sunday didn't last, that the same people who were calling out Jesus, Hosanna, save us, 
would one day turn the tables and start to yell, crucify him instead. But as it was my turn to come up to the cross and to drop my palm and turn my back to the cross, walk away from it, something broke in me, something all too real. And strangely, it was actually, it was the silence that got me. It was the silent, physically turning away from the cross. It seemed to speak to me more about rejecting Jesus, more about the shame than any of those cries of crucify him had ever done for me before. Because I think long before we would ever choose to turn against Jesus, we would choose to simply silently turn away from what he's offering his very life to give us. See, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. And that creates a whole different kind of wound. See, we're eager to shout, Hosanna, Lord, save us, when we see Jesus as the Lord of power who can use that kind of power to our advantage. But what do we really mean by that prayer, Lord, save us? Save us how? Save us from what? Save us for what? And I think what we often have in mind, what we want from Jesus is very different from what we actually need saving from and saving for. And I don't think we're all that different from these Palm Sunday crowds because we really want a Messiah who's going to make our lives all victorious, put us back on the top of the world. And when we see what Jesus actually came to do is meet us in our brokenness, when we see what actually makes for peace is not to lead us in conquering power over others, but to lead us in conquering hearts through servant-hearted love. When we see that with this Savior first comes the cross, then the crown. How often do we want to drop our palms and our praise and walk away silent to leave him to bear that cross alone? We cry, Jesus, save us, until we begin to realize that what we need saving from might not actually be what we think. That we might not even recognize those things that have us in bondage. Are we brave enough to really want Jesus to be our king? To lead us out of the bondage to our temporary little mini-kingdoms into actually living in his eternal one? Do we trust him to be the king we need? Or are we too just looking for the kind of king we want? Well, to answer that, we have to first know what kind of king Jesus is. And this Palm Sunday story unfolds a lot about that. In Luke 19, Jesus asks his disciples to go into a village and borrow a colt that the owner will let them take when they tell him the Lord needs it. And that's exactly what happened. They go into the village, they get this colt, they bring it to Jesus. Now, Jesus always walked everywhere. We see that in scripture. So why did he need this donkey now? Because who he is, is the Messiah of prophecy. The prophet Zechariah wrote, shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. So for Jesus, riding into the city on a donkey says two things. Number one, that yes, he is the Messiah of prophecy. He is the king sent by God. But it also says very clearly what you should expect from this king, that he is not a king of a military victory or conquest. He's a prince of peace. 
because nobody rides a donkey into battle, right? <laughs> I've heard a lot about a Palm Sunday many years ago in this church when one of our members dressed up and rode a donkey into the sanctuary and almost got knocked out when the donkey spooked and hightailed it out the door. <laughs> I think it's safe to say it's hard to be dignified on a donkey, right? If people were expecting Jesus to be a king of military victory, the donkey symbol would send a very different message. He is the king of prophecy. He is sent by God, but he's a king of peace. And as people saw Jesus coming on the donkey into the city, they spread their cloaks on the road to keep the dust down, and they yelled, Hosanna, Lord, save us, because these people had seen Jesus' miracles. They knew God's power was here, and they were honestly excited to see him. And the things that they were saying about him got the Pharisees all riled up. And the Pharisees told Jesus to get the crowd to stop saying those things because if they weren't true, it would be blasphemy. But Jesus didn't stop them. Instead, Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out, which is interesting. Because throughout the Old Testament, whenever God showed up in a powerful way, when God's people experienced a moment of God's saving power and presence, they would set up stones, monuments to speak to the fact that God had shown up here so future generations would remember. What kind of king is Jesus? He's the same Lord who's shown up all through history who prefers the testimony of his lordship not to be in stone, but in human beings. But still, he's lord, so if the people won't recognize him, the rocks will cry out. He's the Messiah of prophecy. He's the king of peace. He's the king of power. He's the lord of all creation. And when this Messiah approaches the holy city, Jerusalem, which means the city of peace, what did he do? He wept because peace was exactly what they didn't have. And they were looking for it in all the wrong places. Jesus knew what they really wanted was a military victory over Rome. What he came to give them was so much more. And Jesus knew that even though he was right there in front of them to show them the way of peace, they would ultimately reject it because they already had in mind a vision of what kind of kingdom they were looking for. And if Jesus wasn't going to get them there, their hosannas were going to fade. They would choose violence. They would choose force and wealth and political connections to try to wrestle their way into what they thought would give them power and peace and prosperity. And that way would eventually lead to their destruction. It happened about 40 years after this moment in 70 A.D., but in this moment, Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of heaven and earth, was standing right there, loving them, heartbroken because they would not choose what he came to give them. Jesus said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. So what about us? Are we tempted to look for our peace today in those same things? If we think Jesus came to give us power over others, we don't know our king quite yet. Jesus said in his kingdom, the greatest among us will be the servant of all. Are we looking in the right place for true peace?
Or are we still putting our hopes in power, politics, persuasion? Who is the king of your heart? From here, Jesus enters the temple. And his sadness over Jerusalem actually turns to anger. Because even in the temple, the place where you'd think that people were turning to God, even there, their focus was on making a profit from religious goods and services. And Jesus turns over the sales tables. He drives them out, reminding them what God said about his temple. My house will be a house of prayer. See, what if what we need saving from the most are the idols that we've put our trust in instead of the living God? What if what we need the most is for Jesus to turn those tables over in us? What if we need most is for our false gods to be exposed for what they are and toppled so we'll stop investing in what does not bring us life? This is not exactly the saving that the crowds were asking for. And their Hosanna cries, Lord save us, fell into silence. Can you understand why? They wanted Jesus to attack the Romans. Instead, he attacked their idols. I read in the Star Tribune this last week a very interesting book review that I think actually shed some light on this. It was on a book called Dancing Bears, if any of you saw this. The review started by explaining if you want to train a dancing bear, what you've got to do is get one as a cub and then drive an iron ring through its sensitive nose and then chain it up by that ring, wrap its hind feet to protect them, but not the front feet, and then you play your instrument while the bear is led onto a red-hot surface. And then the searing pain in its front feet will cause it to rise up on its wrapped, protected hind feet only. And if you torture it that way long enough, eventually, every time it hears the music, it'll dance on its hind feet. Now, thankfully, that kind of cruelty was outlawed long ago, and a special park, a dancing bear sanctuary, was created for the retired bears to be able to be reintroduced to freedom in the wild, to life as it was meant to be for them as free bears. But the rangers observed they found something quite unexpected happening in the park. The author of the book writes, For every retired dancing bear, the moment comes when freedom starts to cause it pain. What does it do then? It gets up on its hind legs and it starts to dance, as if it would prefer that its keeper come back to take responsibility for its life again. Have you ever felt like that bear? Trained to avoid pain by dancing to the tune of the world? What happens when you're set free to actually be all that you are created to be? Is the humiliation of the dance actually preferable to you to living into the scary freedom of all that God has meant for you? The Palm Sunday crowd wanted Jesus to be the kind of king that kept them dancing in their familiar patterns just with better padding and maybe better snacks. But instead, he turned over the tables in the temple. And less than a week from this moment, at the moment of his death, the curtain that had separated the holiest of holies in the temple, a symbol of the division between the holiness of God and the sinful people, that curtain was torn in two from the top to the bottom in Jesus' death. That in Jesus Christ, 
All the shackles are coming off. And we're invited now to live in the presence of our holy God and in his leading as our eternal king, now and forever. But faced with the stripping away of all of our idols, instead, this Palm Sunday crowd stopped calling, Lord, save us, and in their hearts started to dance back into the way of slavery, not quite sure they needed saving or wanted saving from those captors. When we call out to Jesus, Hosanna, save us. Are we ready to hear from Jesus what we really need saving from? What he came to save us for? Do we trust him to be our king? Because the truth is we all long for more freedom and for peace. We long for purpose and meaning in our lives. But it's so much harder, it's so much riskier to be in real relationship with real, messy, broken people than to connect with the quirky but lovable characters on Netflix. But what is your life really meant to be about? Jesus came to save you, not for life in your own temporary kingdom, but in his eternal one. And to call him Lord leads us to find life in his kingdom, not in ours. Do we dare call Jesus Lord? Because when we do, we almost also dare to trust that God knows what needs to be put to death in us what needs to be brought to the cross so that he can raise up in us a new life, new beginning, new meaning, real joy. And that's the only reason why Jesus rode into Jerusalem that Palm Sunday so long ago. Jesus knew that that would lead to his torture, his death on the cross, and still he chose to go to set us free. In the chapter before our Palm Sunday story, Jesus let his disciples know what was waiting for them. Luke 18, 31 says, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. And a little later in Luke 19, verse 11, right after the Zacchaeus story, Jesus went on to tell them, the crowds, a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. People had heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God is near and they thought if he's really the Messiah, he's going to change this broken earth into heaven the minute he steps into Jerusalem, which means city of peace. The Messiah is here. Boom. New creation. They didn't understand that Jesus had work to do through the cross to make the way for that peace or how the kingdom of God would be at work one heart at a time through the redeeming love of Jesus and the Holy Spirit's transformational power. What they wanted was a kingdom now they could rule, like the glory days of King David, to put their people back in the seat of power. But the riches of Jesus' kingdom aren't riches. They're hearts. Hearts called back into relationship with God forever. And this new covenant wasn't just for the Jewish people. It would be for all people. That the king who rode into Jerusalem that day came to conquer he came to rule, he came to lead, he came to bring victory, but in none of the ways they expected, but in all of the ways we needed. This Messiah who rides in on a donkey 
came to save us from ourselves, from our desire to find life and conquering others by showing us how real power and real life is found through humility and love. This Messiah, for whom the stones will cry out, came not just to leave a mark that he once walked here, but to mark us as a place where he is going to move now and for all eternity. And the Messiah who weeps over a city, stubbornly trying to force peace out of places where peace will never be found, while missing the Prince of Peace right in front of them, came to save us from our blindness so that we who are privileged to know the rest of the story will dare trust him for that peace through his grace alone. And the Messiah who took it upon himself to confront the idols that we settle for instead of the presence of the living God calls us to draw us back into a place of prayer, which is the true foundation of knowing God's power at work in us. With this king, the way to peace starts with the cross. It starts with putting to death all those things we've tried to create our own kingdoms through, allowing Jesus to be king instead. It starts with the cross, but it doesn't end there. On Palm Sunday, all the Christians in Ngaundere left our palms at the cross and paid a silent tribute to Jesus who took the cross for us. But that next Sunday, that same stadium was filled with a thousand people celebrating the joy of the fact that that cross was replaced with an empty tomb. Ready or not, freedom has come in this Messiah. Because the point is not the cross. The cross is the tool through which our king set us free and still sets us free if we'll dare surrender our shackles and step into the freedom he brings to us. So the question is, will you trust him to be the king you need to lead you into real relationship with him forever? Don't let the rocks cry out in your place because you were made to be the place where God shows up. So let's turn to him right now. Hosanna, Jesus. We pray to you right now, Lord, come and save us. And we admit, we confess, we don't even know all of those things we need saving from, all of those things we need saving for, but we trust, Lord, that you do. That you came, Lord, to meet us in our need and our brokenness. That you meet us right where we are. To lead us into a freedom that we have never even known. We've never understood all of the things that you have created us to be and to know in your presence with us. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that in this holy week, as we remember what you've done for us through the cross, as we remember the power of your sacrifice for us, as we remember the power of your resurrection for us, that you would help us, Lord, to surrender those things to you that need to be brought to the cross and that we would trust you, Lord, to raise up in us the new life, the new freedom that you call us to live. And Lord, help us to trust you every step of the way as we live into that new life. And all of these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.